0: Starting this series in Acts. It, it will probably be a four week series. It might go a little longer than that. We'll see how the Lord leads. Uh, but a little bit about this book. It was actually originally written as a two part to the book of Luke. So Luke was a doctor, a companion of Paul, a travel companion with him. And he decided he wanted to go back and get first hand accounts of the ministry of Jesus, the disciples, all the way up through the, the, the beginning of the church, and then all the things that happened, the Acts of the apostles throughout the early foundation of the church. So this was actually originally written together. Luke and Acts were one book, two parts. And, uh, and so, but what is Acts? It is kind of the history. So there's really two ways that you can look at history. We can look at history as a scholar or we can look at history as a soldier. And scholars take a look at history to learn what used to be. Like this is how it was. But a soldier will study history to look at what is left to be done. And and I don't want to just study any book of the Bible, but especially I don't want to study Acts just for information. We also need to study to get on mission, to be reminded of what God has asked us to do. So uh, we're going to study through this uh, for the next few weeks as both scholars and soldiers. Because there are some things that we need to learn, but there's also some things that the army of the Lord, and I, and I know some of us like, man, you hear that. How, every time I think about that, the army of the Lord, how many of y'all go back to Sunday school and, and singing that song? You know what song I'm talking about? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the, you gotta do the hand motions. I'm gonna start over, you better do the hand motions. Shoot the artillery, I may never, don't smack your, hand, your neighbor, fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Okay, 20% of you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are literally staring at me like a cow staring at a new gate. And it's probably best that you weren't raised in a church that sang that song because the churches I went to <laughs> when I learned that song, that was the most exciting thing that ever happened in that church was singing that song. It's like, oh, we get to move, <laughs> this is awesome. But I do believe that. Listen, we we are on mission right now and, and yes, God is looking for a church family, but he is also looking for a church army. He, he is asking for soldiers that are committed, dedicated, and can see what's in front of us the way that he sees it. So we are on mission. Acts is not just about what God used to do, but is about what God still wants to do and is going to do in the future. So hopefully, we can come out of these next few weeks studying Acts and, and look a little bit like Harrison Ford and in Indiana Jones, right? like where we know some stuff, but the fight scenes are pretty cool too, you know? Like like we we need to be able to understand this, but also understand, man, there's a mission in front of us. There's some things for us to do. Let me ask you a question. Why is New Life Church here right now? And, and don't just give me the, the spiritual answer. Like God ordaineth it from heaven, okay? Like, okay, I get that. But just practically speaking, why is it here? Because you may say, well, we're here because... Pastor Rick and Michelle came from Louisiana, right? They they came up here, they they left some some pastors and some friends, some pretty good food and some subpar sports teams. And they they came up from Louisiana and and upgraded to Arkansas, right? And you could say that and you'd be right. But it goes deeper than that. Because you could also say, well, no, it's because Pastor Larry was Pastor Rick's pastor that he commissioned and sent Pastor Rick, and you'd be right. But let's go a little deeper in that because you could say that Pastor Larry's dad started this church in their living room in 1963 in Baker, Louisiana, and that's why we're here. And you'd be right, but we have roots even deeper than that. Because you could say, man, it was because of a revival from John Wesley, because of Jonathan Edwards, but we can keep going. Because the reality is, as Gentiles, which I would assume pretty much all of us are, unless you're Jewish, and I'm glad you're here, if you're Jewish, but all of us as Gentiles, our roots go back to the conversion of a terrorist in Acts 9. That's where we come from. That's the foundation of our church. And I think there's a lot that we can learn and do in light of that story and that testimony of Paul. So that's gonna be our main text in Acts chapter nine. Starting in verse one, it says this, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him to, uh, asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, okay, that's what, that was what the church was called, All right, we're basically labeled as a cult early on. The way, that if you found anyone that was a part of the way, either man or woman, or men or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Now that's so huge, okay? Because that's a capital L. Okay, so regardless of the fact of whether Paul recognized who Jesus was before this, at that moment, there was no doubt. And here's what's really important. At one point or another, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether they wanted to recognize him as that or not, in that moment, everybody will recognize him as Lord. Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Okay, so I wanna start right there with this point. Every person is worth another shot. Every person is worth another shot. Okay, Paul was not the most likely, or Saul at that point was not the most likely person that Jesus would reveal himself to. Uh, my personal opinion is that the 12th disciple was always meant to be Paul, not the other guy that the disciples picked by casting lots, okay? Like Paul was always meant to be this apostle. It says, he, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. The biggest menace at this point to the church is, is this guy and God is giving him another shot. This guy is literally a terrorist. He's going around seeking information on any believer so that they can be arrested, taken to religious leaders and a lot of times ultimately handed over to the Roman government. The Roman government was killing Christians very soon after the beginning of the new church Uh, and especially as, as Christianity spread throughout Rome They were rounding up people and taking them to the Colosseum and feeding them to lions. I mean, this he was a part of the original persecution of the church. This dude and this is who Jesus says, I'm going to use him. I'm going to give him another shot. Have you ever thought this? Imagine what the world would look like if so-and-so would get saved. You ever had that thought? Like I think about that around like actors and musicians and different people like that. Like imagine if that, if what if so-and-so got radically saved, transformed, what could they do? And the cool thing is there's a lot of music artists, actors and people like that right now that are getting radically saved. They're surrendering their life to Jesus. It's awesome. It's awesome. But the reality is this. A lot of times, even the people that have a tendency to get looked over, God wants to use them in mighty ways. God wants to give them a shot. When I was growing up, there's this guy in, in middle school, junior high, his name was Will. And uh, man, Will, he, he struggled, all right? He, 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 was, he was a bit goofy, he was a little awkward. Uh, he was a bob, a big old boy, okay? And, uh, and he, he had uh, braces and glasses, and he was just, he was just, he was an awkward dude. And I've shared my testimony. Like, I, I got made fun of, and I got picked on, and all that kind of thing. But here's the thing. Like, Will was the kind of guy that somebody like me loved to be around. Because as long as Will's around, they were going to pick on him more than they were going to pick on me. Like, that's who Will was. And he was just he was just clumsy, and he was so clumsy. Actually, at one point, we were playing uh, two-hand touch football out on the playground, and Will was on my team, and he fell on me and broke my elbow, okay? Like, like, like that's, that's Will's life to that point in a nutshell. Like, he, he's just a, a, a destructive force around him, all right? And so, uh, fast forward, though, a few years later, uh, I go back to my hometown. Uh, this is in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, And I go back there because we're going to be having a summer camp there. And I was asked to be one of the counselors at the summer camp. And I thought, man, I want to go and check out my old youth group. I want to see what they're doing. So I went there and I walked in and this cool looking dude comes walking up to me and he's like, hey, how are you doing, man? I'm like, I'm good. He's like, man, you look really familiar to me. I'm like, well, you know, kind of famous, kind 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 of a big deal, you know, I don't know, you've probably, I wasn't at all. I'm like, how, I don't know how you would know me. He's like, oh, what's your name? I'm like, it's James. He's like, James Bennett. I'm like, okay, stalker. Like, what's going on? Like, who are you, dude? He's like, it's me, Will. I'm like, no, it ain't. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's me, it's Will. I was like, whoa. Like, okay. Hey, Will, nice to meet you. He's like, man, it's so good to see you what are you doing here? Uh, We caught up a little bit. And then he walked off and I was, you know, just kind of hanging out before the service started. And then the service started, they had a couple songs of worship. And then all of a sudden I see Will walk on stage with a mic. I was like, somebody need to get Will off the stage. Like, if I know this dude, this is about to go bad. Like, this is not going to be good. And he says, hey, everybody, hey, I know we got a couple of visitors tonight. My name's Pastor Will. And Will is the youth pastor of my old youth group. And I want you to know, God used that to convict me in that moment. Because this is right around the time, like it was at that camp that a couple of people spoke over me prophetically and I answered the call of God in my life. But God connected what I saw happen with Will to my life and he reminded me to never forget who gave me a shot. To never forget the fact that I wasn't the most likely person that God could use in full-time ministry. But God used people in my life and they were obedient to speak that life and to speak that truth into me. And that I should never overlook or discount anybody that God could use them in a mighty way. There are people around us right now that we can have a tendency to write off, but God's not finished with them at all. But some of them God hasn't even started yet. Jesus made a ministry out of giving people a second chance, another shot. Zacchaeus, Matthew the tax collector, Peter always putting his foot in his mouth, the woman caught in adultery, time after time after time. And he carried that ministry on after the ascension with Saul, who became Paul. And he's still doing that today. He's still doing that ministry today. Even if it looks like there is no sign of God moving in somebody's life, there wasn't any sign of God moving in Paul's life at this point. Nobody could see any hope there. Suddenly in a flash, in a flash. I've got a word for some of you today. Some of you, you have family members and maybe even a spouse that suddenly and in a flash, they're gonna be right back in the middle of God's will for their life again, in Jesus' name. Who do you need to give another shot though? because it could be that that family member, that person, God wants to use you as an instrument in their life, as a vessel of that grace, of that hope, of that second chance. Maybe there's somebody you need to have some coffee with, somebody you need to send a text to, somebody you need to send an encouraging word to, another invite to come to church maybe. In Hebrews 2.17 it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God. This is such a powerful verse for us because the word says that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us. Now, I hope that you know that and I hope that you can accept that. And I hope that if you haven't found salvation that you will and today you're gonna have an opportunity to do that. But the reality is this, that even the people that may be around you or even somebody that the Lord might bring to your mind right now that is driving you crazy, you need to know Jesus is praying just as much for them as he's ever prayed for you. He has just as much grace, just as much mercy. He has just as much vision. He has just as much hope for their future as he has for you. How does God give people another shot? Because Jesus is still so merciful and faithful. He's faithful and you can count on it. Number two, when you persecute one of God's kids, you're persecuting Jesus directly. We can see this right in this text in verse four. He fell on the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. You would think that Jesus would say, hey, Why are you persecuting some of the people that I love? But the fact is God takes family way more seriously than we do. He takes family way more seriously. And some of us like, we get this. I I remember a couple times growing up when I was disrespectful to my mom in front of my dad. And those were phrases like, I will knock you into next week came out like, You know, I I can make another kid. I got one wife, like, you know, like, you know, it, it, it would get serious in those moments, intense. And you could see, man, how important that defense and that honor was. I will say this, though, just a word of advice. If you're ever around a family that's constantly slamming one another all the time, I would just stay out of it. Stay out of it because the moment that you join in and think that it's okay to join in, you're gonna get slapped upside the head because family's important to people. Well, I want you to know it is infinitely more important to God. As loyal as you are to your family, as much as a mama bear or a protector that you think that you are about your family, you need to know that God takes his family really seriously too. Every one of his kids, every sister and brother in Christ, he takes it seriously. And I've mentioned this before, so I'm not gonna belabor this point, but I think in these times that we need to elevate a conviction towards talking about the body of Christ in a negative way. We need to elevate a conviction about how we talk about the church. Because those conversations, when we are talking negatively about other people, talking negatively about a pastor, a preacher, a leader in ministry, I want you to know that Jesus takes those conversations personally. You're talking about his Family, You're talking about his son or his daughter. And I think it's really important that we're grace filled and we do the best we can to lift people up. Anybody out there on this one? Let's watch how we talk about other believers and what they're going through in their life. First John 420 says it this way, whoever claims to love God, yet hate, hates a brother or sister is a liar. Okay, now brother or sister, these are disciples. These are other believers. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That is strong. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I think it can be really easy to fall into a religious mindset where we can think about people. You know, the thing about Will was this. The the thing about Will was, He would claim to be a Christian. But because of his fear of man and his fear of rejection, anytime a cool kid would get around, he would compromise all of his convictions to be accepted. Okay? Now that was that was an issue he he had at that point. And I think for all of us, like we can see those types of things and we can get into a religious, legalistic, judgmental mindset, and we can think, well, they're done. Man, they're done. I I read that article. I saw that documentary. they made a mess out of all of it. That's the last we've seen of them. I guess they are done with God. Well, God's not done with them. God's not done with them. Hebrews 2.11 says, both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. We've probably all had that one family member that we're a little embarrassed of. And if you don't know who that family member is in your family, you might be that family member. I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, the, that, that uncle where it's like, do you, you never let that uncle talk at a funeral or a wedding. It's not going to go well. Like, just keep the mic away from him. You know, or that cousin that you hope doesn't show up to the family reunion. Even Jesus had family that were ashamed of him. But Jesus has never been ashamed of you. He's never been ashamed of you. Jesus has never looked at you and thought, man, they're like the black sheep of the whole family of God. Jesus has never thought about keeping you away from everything else, keeping you away from the family. Jesus has never thought about not talking to you or forgetting to talk to, to you or about you. He's proud of you. He's proud of you. I want you to look around this room right now. And I, I don't know every relationship that's in here. I, I don't know what dynamics might be there. There might be somebody here right now. Every time you see them, it drives you crazy because of something that happened it's some some relational breakdown or whatever it is. So I want you to look around this room because you have to understand that there is not one person in this room that Jesus is ashamed of, nobody. And the fact of the matter is, I don't, it, it, the reality is if you struggle with this, if you struggle with this idea and concept, it is only an indication of your lack of understanding and acceptance about how much God loves you. That's the issue. The issue actually isn't the other person, the issue is you still haven't walked in the fullness of God's grace, love and acceptance for yourself. But when you look around this room, there is not one person in here that Jesus has ever looked at and be like, "Mm, man, I don't know if I want them to come to heaven. I don't know if I'd wanna spend eternity with that dude. It's never happened. It's never happened. Number three, be thankful for the people who have obediently spoken to your life. The people that have obediently spoken to your life So I wanna read more about someone that God commanded to speak into Saul's life. Reading on in verse eight, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, "'Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street "'and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, "'for he is praying, and in a vision "'he has seen a man named Ananias,' that's your name, "'come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I've heard many reports uh, about this man "'and all the harm that he's done uh, "'to your holy people in Jerusalem.'" And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Isn't this crazy? This is just so funny to me. How many times in scripture, God will speak directly to people and they're like, God, you may not have heard. God, I, I guess you didn't know. This person? God, you must not be on Facebook. If you were on Facebook, God, you would know. If you were on social media, you would know this person. Isn't it crazy how they do that? Like, I just want God to speak to me that directly sometime. But I think God does speak to us very directly sometimes when it comes to people like this and we like to ignore and justify not reaching out to them with the love and grace he's commanded us to. I think that happens. But the Lord said in Ananias, go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So Ananias was obedient. I think it's very important that we're obedient because in my personal Christian life as a believer, it has been the word of God, the leading of Holy Spirit, and people being obedient to speak into my life that has sustained me that has pushed me down the road and down the path that God's had for me. So I think it's important. I want you to do this right now, actually. I want you to think of somebody in your life right now that you know has spoken into you, has challenged you, has encouraged you, has just breathed life into you when it comes to your faith and your walk. And if you can think of that person, I want you to take your phone out right now. Take your phone out right now. I want you to start a text. Okay, some of you are not doing what I'm asking you to do. I'm serious. Take out your phone, okay? And some of you are like, I already have my phone out because I'm taking notes. I'm like, yeah, right, because this is how you take notes, <laughs> right? Okay, but it, uh, as you're sitting here, I, I, you don't get permission like this very often from a preacher, so I take advantage of it, right? Take out your phone, and as I'm speaking, as the Lord leads us, he puts something, somebody on your heart and mind that's spoken in your life, to challenge you or encourage you. I want you just to send him a text and say, hey, I want to just let you know I thank God for you. I thank God that you were obedient to encourage me to speak into my life. Because I think about people that have been like that in my life. I think about a, a pastor friend of mine, his name is John Bevere, who before, as I was entering into ministry, as I was answering that call, I went and had dinner with his family and he just spoke some very strong, challenging things into me because he knew my family, he knew my past, he knew some of the baggage that people in my family dealt with. And he encouraged me that I, I'm, I, don't, I can live my entire life without being offended. That's one of the most powerful revelations that I've been able to live with. I can live, and God has called me to live a life as a believer, being completely unoffended. That when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I surrendered my right to be offended. And it's helped me walk in a lot of freedom. I think about Max Lucado who believed in me early on and helped invest in me being able to go to to Bible college because I made a decision and I pivoted away from going to a school that he went to and I went to this small Bible school, but I didn't have any plan. I didn't have a scholarship for that. And he said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. It doesn't matter. I don't, it doesn't matter to me where you go to school. I just want you to be obedient to the call of God in your life and I'm going to invest in you. I think about Britt Hancock, who's this amazing missionary down in Central and South America who, Man, he's just a general in the faith. This guy has done crazy, crazy and seen crazy things, but he's spoken into me over the course of my life. And I sent texts to each one of these guys yesterday. And some were like, hey, this is random, you know? But they understood too, because there was somebody that spoke into their life too at some point. And so I'd encourage you people that have talked to me about sin and held me accountable about my relationship with Jesus, about ministry, about, about making decisions to go to Bible school, about marrying Cody, about moving, about moving here. There's been people that have been obedient, led by God to speak into me. One of the definitions of prophecy is to blow on dying embers, and I love that picture because there are gonna be times in your life where it feels like you're losing the fire And there's people around you that they're losing the fire. And God is asking you to be obedient to give them a word. Because all those other subjects and a thousand other encouraging words have been a wind that has pushed me and carried me through my relationship with the Lord. Just be obedient to speak, even when you don't understand it. Does Ananias wanna do this? No, there's a lot of reasons why not. I'll give you a couple. Death. being arrested and put in prison. There's always gonna be a hesitation because our flesh is in opposition to the way of the Holy Spirit. But this is what you have to know about God. No matter where a person is in life, God can claim victory right there in that place in their life. And he wants to. Even when it seems like, man, there's just no way. There's a story of, of Israel. Uh, they defeated the Arameans in battle. And the Arameans thought, well, the reason why they beat us is because their God is the God of the hills. So next time we pick a fight with Israel, we'll, we'll pick a, a fight in the valleys. And we'll be able to beat them there. And God, God got offended by that. Because God wanted them to know, no, I'm the God of everywhere. I'm the God of everywhere. So when they pick the fight in the valley, guess what? They got their tails kicked. Because God is the God of the hills and the valleys. And there are people around you that they may seem like they are in a really deep valley that I don't think anybody, but God can claim victory right in the deepest valleys of someone's life. Because some of you have the testimony of him doing that for you. And he likes to use people. He likes to use willing, obedient vessels to go and speak to people, to bring victory and glory to his name, even in the deepest valleys. You be the believer that is willing to be obedient and speak up, no matter what road. Some of you may have a loved one that's headed up you-know-what creek. God is the God of that creek. You may have someone that is headed towards a dead end, the wrong road, and God will show up on that turf too. Number four, be converted from something to something. From something to something. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Okay, guys, again, it's fair to say without this interchange, without this happening, we probably wouldn't exist as a church. Like the church might've just stayed in Israel because it was Paul's efforts among the Gentiles and to those three journeys of Paul that allowed the gospel to spread to the Gentiles. Without that, there's no telling where the church would be. So this is huge. out of darkness into light. This is what Paul talks about, his marvelous ministry. Paul was never the same after this salvation and neither was the rest of the world. There's actually a website uh, that you can go to and I'm not gonna give you the website because you already have your phone out and you'll be too tempted to go to the website. But there's a website that you can go to to figure out uh, and it's silly, but they, the website claims that they can figure out the exact day and time that you're going to die, okay? So not the most encouraging website, but if you go, you can just enter in like some basic information like your age, you know, the date that you were born, uh, uh, if you're an optimist, a pessimist, or neutral, uh, uh, you know, based on your BMI, you know, body mass index and some things like that, you put some of this stuff in. And then you push calculate my time of death and it'll tell you. And so I just want you guys to know that I'm gonna die Sunday, February 22nd, 2054, which is not that long away. So that kind of lines up with Cody believing I'm gonna die relatively young. So I don't know, but it is gonna be on a Sunday. So we'll have to get a guest speaker for that Sunday, but we'll try to find somebody good. I probably won't be available, but I put it in and and as soon as you put it in, it, it starts counting down how many seconds you have in your life. So. That's cool. (laughs) But why do websites like this exist? Because on the whole, human nature is obsessed with the future. God paints a future for Paul that no one could have seen. We can look at it in hindsight and read about it. It's like, yeah, we know about, yeah, Saul, Paul, we got it. But think about it within the context of that moment. He's a terrorist. He's the one that's more against the ministry of Jesus and everything that he tried to establish through his disciples. He's more against it than anyone else. God converted him from something to something for a reason. He's painting a future for you too, if you'll let him. Here's a really important question. What are you a Christian for? What's the point? What are you a Christian for? Because people can spend all day, every day, their whole lives telling everybody what they're against. And unfortunately, Christians are great at letting everybody know everything that they're against. But what did God send his son, Jesus, to save you for? because he didn't just save you for nothing. There is a purpose and a mission and an assignment behind you getting saved. There is no exception. It isn't like, yeah, there's a percentage of people like Pastor James that are just like, you know, full time and they work at a church, uh, but really they work one day a week. Wish I had his job, you know, like, no. Every single person that is called on Jesus as their Lord and Savior was saved for something. And it is for his kingdom, his glory, and to get yourself ready and other people for, ready for how they're gonna spend eternity. That's Everything. Whatever sphere of influence, whatever career, whatever job, whatever season, whatever, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, God wants you to use everything that you have, everything that he's given you, everything he's trusted you with to be faithful with that. He saved you for something. There's this new psychological term for how people are obsessed With their future. It's called future self psychology. And with this, they encourage people to like paint these pictures, like literally paint pictures of what their life is gonna look like in five to 10 years. And it's meant to inspire you like, I'm gonna paint this, and then I'm gonna look at it, and it's gonna help me to be this person. But I want you to know, you don't have to paint this one yourself. And in fact, I would encourage you not to, because you're probably gonna mess it up. I'd encourage you to let Jesus pick up the brush. Let him, let him, let him paint the picture that he has for your life. This isn't new. Jesus walked on this earth 2000 years ago, speaking a clear new future for people's lives. And he's doing the same thing right now. But there are people around you that don't know that yet. They don't know what that picture is. They have no clue. And God wants, maybe there's a chance that he wants to use you, he wants to use you. We learn something, but we gotta get on mission. We gotta get on mission. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Just think about that, what are you doing with your life? Because really there's three options. You can waste it. Man, that is sad. That is sad. I'm sure we can think of a couple of people right now that, man, they just are wasting their life. Wasting it. You can spend your life. A lot of our culture does this. A lot of our culture does this. What do I mean by spend? I mean... You make your life all about acquiring the checklist that everybody says this is what you should have to be truly successful. And that's all of your energy and that's all your time and that's all your effort. And there aren't bad things, they can be good things and they can be things that God would like you to have as long as they don't have you, don't have your heart, don't have your passion. He deserves all of your heart and all of your passion but you can spend your life or you can invest it. You can invest it in the things that'll last. I've already said, I don't think Jesus is gonna tarry much longer. I think that Jesus is gonna come back pretty soon within our lifetime. Uh, Prophetically, I'm not just like, "Uh, you've heard that said before, oh, the Jesus movement, you know, that happened back then, all that. Yeah, but nothing has ever been more fulfilled prophetically speaking than right now in history. There's some major things getting checked off right now, but here's the thing. If we're here another 500 years, don't think that's gonna happen. But if we're here another five years, guess what? Everything that you see will be gone. Everything you see will be gone, except what? Except the bride of Christ, his church. It'll still be here And eternity. The reality of heaven and hell will still be a reality. And what you do with your life you have the opportunity, if you let Jesus paint the picture, to actually invest your life in what really matters. The greatest force on earth, the hope of the world, the message of Jesus being carried by his kids. That's the opportunity we have. 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Man, that's so important. Like I've just, I've realized, I've just surrendered to who God's created me to be. But here's the thing. I didn't use his grace as an excuse or as justification to keep on sinning. I didn't use his grace. No, I tasted and see that he's good and his grace motivated me to live a life worthy of the calling that he put on me. His grace was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I. It's not about works. It is about fruit. It is about fruit, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Man, we all have to get that, amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. This is always gonna start with a lordship issue. That's the real question. In a flash, Jesus revealed himself to Saul. It changed his life. Somebody was obedient that came and confirmed and affirmed and spoke into him. And that's all I'm trying to do right now. I'm just trying to be obedient to affirm What I believe the Holy Spirit is already doing inside of you to speak into that, to speak truth and love and to say, listen, this is real. This is serious. God loves you. He's never rejected you. There's never been a time that Jesus has been disappointed in you. But he wants you to respond to conviction, respond to his grace, respond to his love. And so maybe you're in this room and at one point or another you accepted or you said a prayer or in a moment and maybe it was just emotion or maybe it was just because somebody else put pressure on you, but you made a decision. But if you're really honest, you haven't been living it and you've been living life your own way and then you just kind of spread some Jesus on the top and ask him to bless what you're doing. That's not lordship. He wants to have full control. And here's what I promise you. If you will, totally surrender to him as Lord and Savior. That's when life really begins. That's when real joy, that's when real peace, that's when real fulfillment, that's where it starts. It's right there at that place of surrender. So maybe you've never done that before, or maybe you just haven't done it for real. And I want this to be the day of your salvation. And if you, if you know the Lord's putting that on your heart, the word says this, that if you will confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, then you can be saved. So maybe you're already making the decision to believe in your heart. And I'm not gonna ask you to stand up and scream it into the room, but I'm gonna ask you as an act of your free will to confess that you need Jesus. You need him. You need him right now because you're away from him. You have no confidence of a relationship with Jesus, no confidence about eternity, and you're ready. And if you are, nobody's looking around. And I, I'm, this is not about you being embarrassed. It is about you just being bold enough to admit it. I need Jesus. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now. As soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. Look up at me. I got you right here anyone else? I'm away from Jesus. I'm ready to call on him as my Lord and Savior. Anyone else? Got gotcha. you. Anyone else? I'm away from Jesus and I need him. Thank you. Got gotcha. you. Anyone else? I'm ready to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Got gotcha, you, bro. I want you to know the Lord put you on my heart. I've been, i Sometimes during a service, I think about somebody and I feel like I'm speaking this message to one person and you're one of those people. I saw you out of the corner of my eye and God said, this message is for them. They need this right now. So thank you for responding. God's gonna honor it. Is there anyone else? He loves you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose for you. Anyone else? For those that raised your hand and maybe you, maybe you didn't raise your hand but you know in your heart this is what you need to do, that, that's okay. I'd encourage you, even those that raise your hand, I would tell somebody that you made this decision. I'd go public with this faith. Right after the service, we're gonna have water baptism. That's one of the greatest ways. That's That's the method and that's the symbol that Jesus even gave us to demonstrate our faith in Him. And I encourage you, even if you weren't, planning on it. We're ready. We've got a change of clothes for you and everything and you can declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior right after this service. But let's just talk to him. This starts with an honest conversation. You just say something like this. Say, Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I don't want to spend one more day without you. I believe that you came and you died on the cross for me, for my sin, And I ask for your forgiveness. I don't know how you can forgive and love somebody like me, but I just choose to believe right now. I choose to believe. Not only did you die, but you rose from the grave. And when you did, you defeated my sin. So I don't have to be held captive to it anymore. Past, present, and future, I can walk in freedom. I can walk in freedom. You also defeated death itself so that I have the hope of heaven. God, I don't wanna just live life with my own little hope of heaven. I wanna fulfill a purpose that you gave me to give that hope to other people too. So help me understand what that is. Help me understand what that is within the context of my job and my family and my day to day. Help me to see my purpose and help me to be obedient to walk in that purpose with an understanding of your word, the power and conviction of your Holy Spirit, with a strong bond and connection to the body of Christ. I want that. Father, I thank you for every person that said that prayer for the first time, maybe just the first time in a long time, but their hearts are in a place where they need it this time, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness and how you pursue us, how you go after us. We love you, Lord.